useful information on kpfa.org. For Chris Hedges, June 26, Days of Destruction, Days of Revolt. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It's 3 p.m. Up next, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, June the 19th, 2012. Right. Ah, June is busting out all over. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day, and I'm going to talk about doom. <laughs> We're celebrating LGBT. Ah, yes. Free at last, free at last, liberation for the gay community, we are free, yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, today I'm going to talk about Oscar Wilde. Last week I talked about Gertrude Stein. Gertrude Stein's life was glorious and happy and her love was the one of the great love affairs of the 20th century. Today we'll talk about Oscar Wilde. Uh, the martyr. He's one of my literary saints. Um, I guess, I think, um, Oscar was the gayest of the gay and the saddest, in a way. Um, these literary saints was very strange. Uh, I think that all the poets are androgynous, if they're any good. Uh, they're man-womanly or woman-manly. Oscar had all the qualities of uh, the most vulnerable, tender-hearted, and, if you like, sentimental human being. Uh, he had all the yin-yang. Um, I think I've got a big book that says the complete works of Oscar <laughs> Wilde. I can hardly lift it. Uh, Mm, Oscar chose the wrong era to come out. His death was uh, coincided almost with Queen Victoria's, but he died in his 40s. The poor man. Uh, I'm jumping right into the uh, letter he wrote to his lover, Bosey Lord Douglas. When Oscar was in prison, there was a trial, and uh, Bosey's father had it out with Oscar Wilde in court, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm looking here in the introduction, just a little a little paragraph here. The introduction is written by 
Oscar's son, Vivian Holland, he changed his name after Oscar went to prison. The two sons changed their name. Uh, mother's maiden name was Holland. I once had Oscar's grandson here, and he has not yet changed his name back to Wild. He has a son, and he talked to me about whether or not his son might finally, after all these years, go back to using the last name Wild. Anyway, Vivian Holland, Oscar Wilde's son, finishes the introduction by saying, the only work that my father wrote after 1897, that is, when he was released from prison, was the poem, The Ballad of Reading Jail. Uh, okay, uh, all his life, my father had an intense leaning towards religious mysticism. He was strongly attracted to the Catholic Church, into which he was received on his deathbed in 1900. Gotcha. Anyway, the introduction is interesting because, of course, uh, it's dated. Oscar's grave has been moved. All very complicated. If I have time, I'll read you more of the... Uh, biographical data. You can look that up if you're interested in all the details. Most people know that Oscar Wilde had a glorious, uh, what do you call that, uh, glamorous life as a celebrity, the first gay celebrity. What I would like to do is begin with a little bit, uh, uh, just a little bit of De Profundus, this great letter that Oscar wrote when he had uh, been imprisoned, it gave him two years for sodomy, for practicing the love that dare not speak its name. Uh, Oscar seems to have had a hunger for martyrdom. Uh, the life of Christ and the life of artist, of the artist, is what uh, De Profundus is all about. Oscar seems to believe what uh, that Christ was the ultimate artist. Um, he, he really has some contradictions in this wonderful essay. He writes, quote, The gods are strange. It is not of our vices only that they make instruments to scourge us. They bring us to ruin through what in us is good, gentle, humane, loving. But for my pity and affection for you, Bozy, and yours, I would not now be weeping in this terrible place. Of course... I discern in all our relations not destiny merely, but doom. Doom that walks oh, always swiftly, because she goes to the shedding of blood. Through your father, you come of a race, marriage with whom is horrible, friendship fatal, and that lays violent hands either on its own life or on the lives of others. In every little circumstance in which the ways of our lives met, 
in every point of great or seemingly trivial import in which you, Bozy, came to me for pleasure or for help. In the small chances, the slight accidents that look in their relation to life to be no more than the dust that dances in a beam or the leaf that flutters from the tree, ruin followed like the echo of a bitter cry or the shadow that hunts with the beast of prey. Our friendship really begins with your begging me in a most pathetic and charming letter to assist you in a position appalling to anyone, doubly so to a young man at Oxford. I did so, do so. He says, I, I did so, right. Ultimately, through your using my name as your friend, and he goes on to explain the ways in which um, Bosey Lord Douglas manipulated him and uh, uh, destroyed his reputation with his friends, uh, on and on. Uh, <laughs> and about the poems, I I went through a handful of biographies of Lord Douglas, and there are people today making out a case for Oscar Wilde's young lover, but I'll skip those for now. They're of some interest. Um, I do not think that history has proved that uh, Lord Douglas was a better poet than Oscar Wilde, but uh, perhaps he has been uh, blamed too much. It's hard to say. Oscar Wilde was, of course, the senior. He was the older man, and uh, his basic complaint in this long, long letter de profundis in which he he, uh, let's say, uh, he accuses his lover of having destroyed his life. He maintains that Bosey's hatred of his father, his terrible megalomacho father, the man who represented everything hideous in uh, British uh, patriarchy, that his hatred for his father was stronger and went much deeper than his love for Oscar. He does uh, admit that Bosey loved him, but um, he says that the hate won out. Uh, I see it as a condemnation of the society itself. Uh, all Oscar Wilde's friends said, don't be foolish, Oscar. Uh, go to Paris and uh, don't go to trial, <laughs> you know. Uh, but Oscar... Like his mother, his Irish mother, right, he ran, ran at the ball. He decided to challenge the uh, Victorian moral, uh, what would you call that? Uh, uh, it's, what is it? It's the 19th century, really, more than the 20th. Uh, the terror of that time, uh even Bosey's mother warned him uh, that, uh, well, anyway, Oscar goes on to say uh, that Bosey outstripped all taste and temperance, that he made demands without grace. 
You grew to think that you had a sort of right to live at my expense and in profuse luxury, to which uh, you had never been accustomed up to that point, and which for that reason made your appetites all the more keen. In the end, if you lost money gambling in some Algiers casino, you simply telegraphed next morning uh, demanding to lodge the amount of your losses to your account at your bank, and on and on. Uh, this is basically a very angry letter. There's a long list of the bills that this kid ran up. Uh, I think it would be an interesting thesis to decide who had the moral edge here. Uh, obviously, Oscar indulged this beautiful young man. I would recommend, with reservations... The film Wild, Stephen Fry plays uh, Oscar, awfully interesting, not not too, it doesn't go too deep. What I loved is the attention it gave to Oscar's great love for his two little boys, the wonderful fairy tales he wrote for his two sons. The Happy Prince has always been a story that uh, I can't read. I've tried to read it on the air once and I just break down and cry. <laughs> The wonderful Jennifer, what is it, uh, Eel, I can never pronounce her last name, Rosemary Harris's daughter, played Oscar's wife. Um, you may recognize her. She played um, in uh, with Colin Firth in the uh, TV series Pride and Prejudice. Uh, terrific actress. Uh, she died, Oscar's wife died, uh, not long after he went to prison, she had a, a trouble with her back, and uh, some surgeries went wrong. It was a bad era to try to get uh, to have a successful operation, and uh, the poor woman died. And the uh, the tragedy was that Oscar lost everything, everything, his estate. There's uh, a great deal here in the letter about the loss of his library and all of his treasures, everything that he uh, loved. But he said it wasn't so much, well, the library, yes. He said it wasn't so much the material things, but what they represented. Uh, and uh, how Bosey was all wrong about the money and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, it is shocking, the degree of ruin that was possible in those days. Um, literally, the, the uh, children and the wife, the friends, had to disappear because of the social degradation and uh, the humiliation. Uh, oh, dear. I'm looking here at the... Uh, the pages and pages. Somehow or another, they make me wince now that I... Now that I dig into it, I, I I have to say that there's a great deal of self-pity in Oscar Wilde's thoughts. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's just that he expresses them so, expresses it so well. I mean, pity is for yourself, right? Uh, uh, mm -hmm. 
He writes that the real fool, such as the gods Mock or Mar, is he who does not know himself. I was such a one too long. You have been such a one too long. He's saying to Mosey,、um, I would describe Oscar as a holy fool.、Um, he says to Mosey, "Be so no more. Do not be afraid."、Uh, The supreme vice is shallowness. Everything that is realized is right. Remember also that whatever is misery for you to read is still greater misery for me to set down. To you, the unseen powers have been very good. They have permitted you to see the strange and tragic shapes of life. As one sees shadows in a crystal, the head of Medusa that turns living men to stone, you have been allowed to look at in a mirror merely. You yourself have walked free among the flowers. For me, the beautiful world of color and motion has been taken away. Right, <laughs> the head of Medusa. Ah,、uh, he says. He goes on to say, "I will begin by telling you that I blame myself terribly as I sit here in this dark cell in convict clothes, a disgraced and ruined man. I blame myself." In the perturbed and fitful nights of anguish, in the long monotonous days of pain, it is myself I blame. I blame myself for allowing an unintellectual friendship, a friendship whose primary aim was not the creation and contemplation of beautiful things, allowed to entirely dominate my life. From the very first, there was too wide a gap between us. You had been idle at your school, worse than idle at your university. You did not realize that an artist, and especially such an artist as I am, one that is to say, the quality of whose work depends on the intensification of personality. Requires for the development of his art, the companionship of ideas, the intellectual atmosphere, gives quiet peace and solitude. And he goes on much, much in that vein. He says to Bosey, "You could not understand the conditions requisite for the production of artistic work." I'm not speaking in phrases of rhetorical exaggeration, but in terms of absolute truth. <laughs> I remind you that during the whole time we were together, I never wrote one single line.、Uh, I think in the film we see Mosey going off to frolic and play with his pals when Oscar's sick as a dog in hotels, that kind of thing. <laughs> He、uh, chastises Mosey, says, "You must see now that your incapacity of being alone." Your nature and its persistent claim on the attention and time of others, your lack of any power of sustained intellectual concentration. <laughs> right? Yes, 
Oh, poor Bosey. I remember my favorite line when a student, uh, when a student was uh, mucking up, I would, my favorite line was, lax retention. Right. Kid couldn't remember a thing. Anyway, uh, he goes on to talk about Bosey's Oxford temper. I'm afraid that at this stage in Oscar Wilde's life, a sense of humor was not in the cards. Uh, the gist of it is that he finds that he was intellectually degraded by this young man. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I'm. there's so much here. I'm going to jump for just a minute to the little bit here. Uh, I remember the first thing that I read of Oscar Wilde's when I was uh, an adolescent was the long poem, The Ballad of Reading Jail. I liked most what Oscar learned about the suffering of the poor, the prisoners, the people that he met in jail. He said it was a mistake to think that they were uh, wiser or that suffering uh, enlightened people. However, he said there was no... Uh, knowledge without it. Uh, especially beautiful are the bits of his ballad in which he talks of a man who died, uh, who was hung for the murder of, uh, right, of his wife. Mm-hmm. Let me read you the end. In Reading Jail by Reading Town there is a pit of shame and in it lies a wretched man eaten by teeth of flame. In a burning winding sheet he lies and his grave has got no name. And there till Christ call forth the dead in silence let him lie. No need to waste the foolish tear or heave the windy sigh. The man had killed the thing he loved, and so he had to die. And all men kill the thing they love by all. Let this be heard. Some do it with a bitter look, some with a flattering word. The coward does it with a kiss, the brave man with a sword. I remember growing up, I think it was the romanticism in Oscar Wilde that I loved as an adolescent uh, he goes on, yes, God's eternal laws are kind. They break the heart of stone. This poem, he does uh, express gratitude that he was able, uh, that his heart could break uh, finally during the years that he was imprisoned. Uh, let me go on just a little bit, skipping back through Reading Jail. I love this poem. Try to memorize it once. It's way too long. Uh, he writes, I know not whether laws be right or whether laws be wrong. All we know who lie in jail 
is that the wall is strong and that each day is like a year, a year whose days are long. But this I know, that every law that man hath made for man, since first man took his brother's life, and the sad world began, but straws the wheat and saves the chaff with a most evil fan, this too I know. And wise it were if each could know the same, that every prison that men build is built with bricks of shame and bound with bars, lest Christ should see how men their brothers maim. With bars they blur the gracious moon and blind the goodly sun, and they do well to hide their hell, for in it things are done that son of God nor son of man ever should look upon. There's a lot more here about the poison weeds. I think of Abu Ghraib and all the horrors. I think it's Oscar who once wrote, I think it's his line, there are no ugly loves, nor handsome prisons. Ah. He goes on to talk about the the way the prisoners walk. Uh, and again, again, um, he goes back to the refrain about uh, how each man kills the thing he loves. By each, let this be heard. Some do it with a bitter look, some with a flattering word. The coward does it with a kiss. The brave man with the sword. In debtor's yard the stones are hard, and the dripping wall is high. So it was there he took the air beneath the leaden sky. By each side a warder walked for fear the man might die. He goes on to talk about the fact that the jailers were afraid that the man to be hung might beat them to it. Right. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, I have pages and pages to read you from the essay that Oscar wrote about the soul of man under socialism. For those of you who prefer realism to romanticism, Oscar was a really, really serious socialist. <laughs> Not a practicing one, of course. He was what we used to call a champagne socialist. He writes, socialism, communism, or whatever one chooses to call it, converts private property into public wealth. Substitutes cooperation. Let's see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Isn't it funny? Right away, he sounds like Marx. Uh, what he uh, tries to say is that... Uh, of course, the full development of uh, life to its highest mode of perfection uh, demands individualism. He says, if socialism is authoritarian, if there are governments armed with economic power, as they are now with political power, if, in a word, we are to have industrial tyrannies, then the last state of man will be worse than the first, right? Said Gertrude Stein says, yes, everybody is governed by somebody. 
Oscar wants to be, well, let's face it, Oscar is an anarchist, uh, pure and simple. He goes on to say, better to die uh, protesting, healthy protest, better to steal and to beg, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I love what he says about the stupidity of man. Uh, those of us who go around asking ourselves, why, why, why do masses of people cast the votes that um, are not not uh, in favor of uh, what is the word for that uh, oh, Lord um, can you I, I can never imagine why people would be against a tax uh, you know that would feed the poor uh, Oscar says every uh, that we accept laws that protect private property. Uh, I'm not sure I strangle on what uh, what has come to be the words, the words, the definitions, the definitions. How could anybody not be for a subsistence income for every citizen in the country? Never mind. God bless Oscar. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back again next Tuesday at this time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Joy Harjo is an internationally renowned Native American poet, writer, musician, and performance artist who has been creating captivating visionary poetry and books like A Map to the Next World. My name is Mark Ankew, co-host of KPFA's Bay Native Circle, and I'm inviting you to join us when Joy visits Oakland to talk about her new memoir, Crazy Brave. Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m., July 12th, Joy and I will be at St. Paul's Church, 114 Montecito Avenue in Oakland. There is wheelchair access. Tickets are $15 at the door and $12 in advance through brownpapertickets.com.